again, lucky boys and girls. It is I, Disaster Welcome to the Tasty Ibbits Podcast. Here, we are all about the drag, the art, the trash, and the comedy. <laughs> this episode, we're gonna do a deep and raunchy dive into the puppet pool with master puppeteer Matt Scott of Rasputin's Marionettes. In fact, Matt gave us so much tasty behind-the-curtains goodies that we had to slice it into two parts, or should I say, cut it into two fatty lines on top of the urinal. This part, part one, is all about Matt's influences like H.R. Puffin stuff, Waylon and Madame, and Shea St. John, and his fascinating history, including his beginnings at the Bob Baker Marionette Theater, his wild and lascivious shows at California Institute of Abnormal Arts, and more! Stay tuned for part two, which further details Matt's provisional career with Pretty Things Peep Show, The Boulet Brothers, and a new project called Sugar Bitch Goulash, in which I play an important part. So sit down and shut up, you stupid snot-nosed children, because the puppet show is about to begin. <laughs> Matt Scott, thank you so much for appearing on my funny little podcast. Welcome. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, you came to my attention... Because you are a brilliant puppeteer. I met you years ago at the Boulet Brothers. What was it called? Was it the precinct? It was the premiere of Queen Kong. Was it the first one? It was the very first one. Oh my God. The world premiere. And you had a runway, a red carpet. I was doing a funny little reporter skit. Oh, yes. So yes. I was trying to root out the all these... The Queen on the Streets. Yeah, the Queen on the Streets. I was trying to root out all these lascivious people who were oh, doing the all these Poots. horrible things. And you were one of them. Oh, thank you. And I saw you do a performance with a marionette of a skeleton. Is that what I did that night? Yes, was doing a striptease. So that was my first time I saw you perform. The whole crowd was mesmerized. We were enthralled. It was so fun. Isn't that fun? It's so crazy. I can't believe that I can entertain people with a, a, a skeleton like that. So dumb. And then we did like a little interview and you were super funny. And from that moment, I knew that one day, perhaps several years in the future, that you would be on my podcast, which I haven't even come up with at that point. So welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I, ever since I met you on that red carpet, I've been equally enthralled with you and everything that you've done. So You are too kind. I know. It's a failing. I am so curious... Why and how did you get into puppets in the first place? Um, well, that's a very long story, actually. Um, my looks betray my real age, and I technically go back to being first generation watching Sesame Street when it came out, insisting that my parents let me stay up late to watch The Muppet Show when The Muppet oh, Show was first on the air. I love The Muppet Show, too. It's incredible. It's, it's it's so good. It's, it's super good writing, and the puppets are so funny and everything. The characters, everything. It's so genuine. It's 
fucking brilliant. Uh, also, uh, one of the things that probably stuck with me the most was Saturday mornings with Sid and Marty Croft uh, watching Croft Superstars, H.R. Puffin stuff, the Bugaloos, and these fucked up, twisted, psychedelic, magical worlds that were always inhabited by one lonely lost human and somehow my life just ended up mirroring all of that <laughs> you are the lonely lost human i am a lonely lost human in a magical world of puppets well you did a good job as a lonely human making other people super happy with this stuff and you know you mentioned all those like very influential shows there was one I was into not exactly puppets but it was called uh, the Banana Splits Club you oh yeah that? I remember the Banana Splits <laughs> these crazy monsters with these giant costumes are like driving around in their little mini bikes all through the studio and everything it was super fun do you look back in Banana Splits and consider that how you traced yourself to the disaster you and I sit before today Maybe because it was so zany. It completely, yes, zany. that's so the word. It was zany. But all of it was very odd and, and very charming. So I think I was. You know, I always think about that show. It's like, that's the one show when I was a kid that really got me going. So that's when you started. You were watching these shows as a kid. And then when did you say, I want to do puppets now? I'm from Southern California. I'm from Los Angeles. And we used to go to a theater called the Bob Baker Marionette Theater, which uh-huh. is still in existence. Um, but I'm not here to plug them. Okay. I would go to see these puppet shows live as a little kid on field trips. There were also puppet shows being done in places like Bush Gardens or at Disneyland. It was just, it, uh, for some reason, at a certain age, my generation just could not escape puppetry being a primary art form and I came to realize that they were all gay men too. <laughs> there was one puppet show that I remember seeing at Bush Gardens and it was for the Bicentennial and it ended with a huge chorus line review of really hyper-sexualized showgirls wearing red, white, and blue sequin with ostrich feathers and it would end with sparklers and a huge light display and they'd all be high-kicking to like America the Beautiful and it was just so ridiculous and over the top and you could pinpoint the actresses of the day who probably influenced these looks like there was very Anne Margarety and kind of like Vegas very Vegas you know Charo was one of the show girls I I believe Um, and the sort of thing that only a super queer campy mind could come up with for the 70s and oh also Madam Oh, Did I remember, you remember seeing Madam? Madam on TV. Yes, I remember seeing that. Yes. Madam times. was outrageous. I don't know if you know anything about Madam, but Waylon Flowers was a brilliant, brilliant comedian. And he and Madam performed in West Hollywood for a decade doing incredibly popular shows before eventually he was discovered and made one of the squares on Hollywood Squares. That's right. They were A-lister. A-lister puppeteer. It was rare. Yeah. And Madam is so outrageous. I'd be hard-pressed to find anybody today with the same sort of raunchy humor. Madam was brilliant. And the, the puppetry skills were just as brilliant as the writing. 
It's a perfect combination. Yeah, especially with Madam. And I would I would recommend if you haven't seen any Madam stuff, go on YouTube and just search Madam because there's plenty of old footage of his early puppet shows doing Madam and the the flow between him being his own identi- self-identified aware person is also moving this puppet with the same realization of character it's fucking fascinating he ended up dying of aids as most of the great puppeteers from back then did and i started to piece all this history together when i was working with bob and i got to see a lot of these early puppets and meet sid marty croft and it's been a really fun ride actually working through the bob baker marionette theater And now, a short break for an important message. Hi, this is Sparkle Bart the Mushroom Gnome. You are listening to the Tasty Ear Bits Podcast. Help support our endeavor by joining our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash ghostlets on fire. One word. I'm Sparkle Bart the Mushroom Gnome. The Mushroom Gnome, the Mushroom Gnome, the Mushroom Gnome, the Mushroom Gnome. Sparkle Bart the Mushroom Gnome, the Mushroom Gnome, the Mushroom Gnome. And now, back to Matt Scott and Rasputin's marionettes. Now I'm just going to flash back to the, going to the Bob Baker Theater as a kid and see just being inundated with puppetry all the time. And as I grew up and talked to people, none of my peers, as I got older, remembered the Bob Baker Theater. And I thought, God, was this something that, did I imagine this? Did we actually go to, to the park and I just sat in a, underneath a jungle gym in the sand and just imagined that I was at a puppet show? Like, how did the, how is it possible that I did all this and nobody can back me up on this claim because what was the name of the theater it had been lost to so but there it was still there but it was still there and one day i happened to i was riding my bike past the theater i went under a bridge instead of over a bridge Um, i know that i know exactly where that is yeah and came across it. This was the early 90s, and it was in complete disrepair. Um, it still looked like a theater, but the front was broken. I mean, it was total Miss Haversham estate looking overgrown with weeds, the marquise falling off. Um, you can tell a fresh coat of paint would get slapped on something and fade in the sun within a few months' time. And I went up to the box office, and I peeked in, and it looked like lights were on, but it was also bright daylight light and I was calling through the hole in the in the window hello is anybody here hello is this place haunted somebody somebody answer me somebody came to the window and oh he was so fucking cute this super hot boy with the thickest arms and the thickest shoulders and the skinniest little nerd body and his thick glasses and I thought fuck this guy is hot and um forgot why I was even there and he's like hello hi welcome to the theater did you come for a puppet show super nerdy nerdy and super enthusiastic and I was like oh yes yes and he's like well we don't have a show right now but I can take you in and show you the puppets and he did I simultaneously was crushing out on this cute boy while seeing puppets that I hadn't seen in 20 years since I was a little boy puppets that had existed for 60 years at that point and everything just flooding into my aura and it filled my soul and I knew immediately I had to work there. I wanted to hang out with this hot boy and I wanted to play with these puppets immediately. How old were you? Um, 20, 25, 26. Okay. 
And I started working. I started working at the theater. They were desperate for help. And my very first show was to close the show that was actually running, which was the show that I was that I recognized immediately, and install the holiday show. So they have been doing the same shows and using the same puppets for decades? Since the 1950s. Oh my God, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. The theater started in the 60s. Before they opened the theater, they were doing shows in Laguna Niguel and had a huge following. Bob had been doing puppets since the 1920s. How old is this Bob? Um, at the time that I started working there, Bob was in his uh, maybe early 70s. Wait a minute. So is Bob still going? Is Bob still alive? No, Bob, Bob unfortunately passed away, I want to say maybe six or seven years ago. Mm, okay. Quite possibly longer than that, maybe nine. I haven't been working at the theater. I stopped working at the theater officially about 11 years ago, and Bob passed away not too long after that, so uh, maybe another year or so. So when you were started working there, did you start working with the puppets right away? No, because when I first started, the show was closing, and I got to be backstage for the last two performances of it, but it was too late for me to jump in on puppets, so they gave me that time um, which was about the course of the week for two shows. I believe it was just weekends at that point. To come in and practice and play with puppets, um, and then I would be doing puppets in the next show while also learning the ropes. And they got me right away, pulling the ropes for the drops and throwing the switches for the lights and getting into how the theater worked. Uh, but that was only my first week. My second week was closing that show. And we were closing down a, far, a summertime farm theme show to put in uh, the holiday show, which was the Nutcracker. And at the same time that we were putting in the Nutcracker, most of that was a hand puppet show. Hmm. And there was a couple of marionette sequences, but Bob wanted a full marionette show of this thing. And so immediately we're, we were ripping apart hand puppets, building legs for them, inserting bodies and turning what was a barely articulated hand puppet into a full marionette, hmm. as well as cranking out the quickest, cheapest, make it pretty. It can, it can be made out of shit, but you make it pretty and nobody will know. And so I learned the quick and dirty method of puppet making two weeks into working at this theater because because of Bob. Wow. And as we changed over the show, it was just me, the cute boy, Bob, and uh, the man who had been doing all of Bob's scenic design for the last 60 years, a friend of Bob's his whole life. And it was just the four of us. And Bob and John was his name, would be... Bicker, two old queens fighting like only two old queens that have known each other for 70 years can. And it was amazing. While me and the cute boy were doing lines of coke off the top of the urinal in the boys' bathroom. What? Oh my lord. Because we had to change this show out. We had to take all of the drops, all of the puppets. We had a 48-hour period to completely get a show out and completely put a new show in. We had to work through the night, and the only people who knew what to do were these two old queens who were too busy fighting and arguing and speaking contradictory things. And it was probably one of the greatest experiences of my life. I had so much fun in that weekend of putting putting those shows in. sounds utterly fascinating, cathartic, bizarre. What a crazy environment. I mean, I'd love to, like, 
watch a documentary or see a movie about that whole and why don't you do that why don't you write a movie or something about this maybe this I should week? do a puppet show about it oh perfect my so next meta. the next puppet show that I have in mind when the day comes was actually written by um, by John Leland who was the guy I was just talking about Bob's mm-hmm. Bob's friend scenic designer one of the things that was just so adorable about him was that he was just his thing was dad jokes and he'd been telling dad jokes for 70 years I like dad jokes and his humor had kind of capped out years ago <laughs> but he was so jolly and he delivered every joke as if it was the first time he'd ever told it and it was so dumb and everything was puns too and he ended up writing me a script but when I read the script it was so genius because because it just it almost feels like it should have been done on the Ed Sullivan show but nobody ever knew that it existed and he's gifted this to me and I want to and he just passed away about a year ago and I absolutely am going to honor him and build this show it's called wow. Every Roman Knows and it's a it's a satire of ancient Rome wow that sounds so fun i can't wait for that one one of my questions was you know, why did you go the marionette route? Because, you know, you were a fan of, of the Muppet show and, and other shows that had like hand puppets and stuff like that. So it was really just being thrown into the deep end of the pool. Right. Because that was my first, my first official time doing puppets on stage in a professional capacity, meaning it wasn't me doing hand puppets or sock puppets behind the couch as a little kid. Now I was all of a sudden on stage performing shows and doing shows every day. And so that just became second nature. And I loved what Bob had created so much that I grew in a very short time from being this mid early to mid 20 year old kid who was doing, doing drugs in the bathroom and putting in shows around the clock to really throwing myself into the work and wanting to help Bob. In fact, I was Bob's right hand for many, many, many years. Wow, I didn't know that. A lot of the puppets, a lot of the scenery, a lot of the props that uh, are still in use at the Bob Baker Marionette Theater, I can point out in a room and say, oh, I actually, I built that puppet or I I built that prop or I built that scenery. Or in a lot of cases, I brought that prop, that scenery and that puppet back from the dead when they were literally in tatters. There's even a couple of numbers that they're doing now that I had originated. You know, I taught, I would teach somebody, they would teach somebody. And and that's basically what puppeteering is. People will always say, oh, it's kind of a dying art. No, it's not a dying art. It's always sort of been this moving underground sort of art because the best puppeteers are usually taught by an apprentice. And there's books on how to make puppets, sure. But becoming a puppeteer is something that takes training and practice and usually a guide. Seems like, yeah, you would need a lot of practice because what I've seen you do with these puppets is pretty amazing. You know, I talked about the skeleton doing the burlesque striptease act and this skeleton comes out on stage and somehow you get this marionette to disrobe in sort of like a very salacious sort of way and it seems like you need a lot of practice to learn that sort of thing all the different movements that these puppets can make so was it just this tutoring that you got Uh, or was a lot of it you figured out yourself you know coming back to Bob his whole method for making puppets was the quick and dirty method he had long since stopped making really intricate uh, complex marionettes and even when he was doing those sort of puppets, he had a team of people helping him. Uh, somebody was doing the designs and somebody was doing the carving and 
And they didn't do it for very long. They found that it was, you know, for what they needed to be doing, which was kid shows. You know, you could cover it with a costume, cover it with fur, cover it with feathers, and the technicality of what's happening underneath all of that, the bones of the system, were sort of irrelevant. So I joke now with puppeteers in my field or people familiar with marionettes that have been doing it for as long as I have. When they ask me where I learned puppets, I'll tell them, oh, I learned. I spent 10 years working with Bob Baker. But then I had to spend another 20 years unlearning everything he taught me. (laughs) So uh, it's the same word of mouth. I have to reach out to other puppeteers. There was a time before the Internet made everything so easy when you'd have to travel to puppet festivals or, you know, go out of town and catch other puppeteers. You had to network in order to actually pin these people down and be like, oh, my God, tell me how you make that arm movement. But now it's easier to do. I think puppetry is becoming more accessible. I think I'm seeing a a little bit more of a return to puppetry being used in places. And I love that. I don't know if I love that or I just um, don't love the idea that my art form could fall into obscurity. Mm. But... Be that as it may, I want to see more drag performances with puppets. I want to see just yeah. everything. Like, I feel like it's such a great creative use of medium. You can literally take anything and make it become anything. And I'd love to see more of it. Me too. And now for some more very important commercial messages. From Out TV. Do you need release? Buckle up, baby girl. The fun's about to begin. (laughs) This here is Crazy Town, and you're the mayor of it. Why does the party always end up in the kitchen? I'm here to probe your black hole. Eat your heart out, bitch. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Let's get some drive. I had my heart set on a pizza, though. Fresh as fuck. Brace yourself. What is this thing? It's a body up in here. Don't be sorry, be better. I'm still the baddest demon around. I'm a sexy yin-yang, motherfucker. Feels like the real thing. Uh Then winking me the fuck out. (laughs) Let's spray this bitch. What the fuck thing began? Six exciting episodes now available at outtv.com or just go to sadopsychiatrist.com for a direct link. Also available on the OutTV Apple TV channel. Sign up now, the first week is free. And also, also available on demand in the UK and Ireland via the Fruit TV, that's F-R-O-O-T dot TV channel. Use the code DISASTERINE for a free month. Part two of part one of Matt Scott and Rasputin's marionettes. And don't forget, there is a part two coming in the next episode. It should be available about a week 
after this one is released, okay? So this is part two of part one, but then go listen to part one of part two. Love you. Matt Scott. So you had all this background with, is it Bob Baker or Bob, Bob Barker? Baker. Bob Baker. Bob Barker is the Price is Right guy. That's right. And he hooked up with all those young girls. Yeah, scandalous. Can you blame him? It, it, it's just kind of what everybody did back then. That's true. They were probably doing lines on the urinal yeah, behind exactly, the scenes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I did start working at a puppet theater mostly because I had a crush on somebody, so... Mm. I'm guilty okay. too. I'm guilty too, I guilty guess. Guilty as charged. But you know, talking about raunchy stuff, okay, you were doing this Bob Barker for all the kids. Right. And then when did you go and say, you know what, I'm going to take this marionette thing to the darker side. I'm going to have some raunchy fun with it. Well, one of the puppets that I used to perform at Bob's was a tall, flirtatious black cat. That black cat was his iteration of a black cat that a lot of puppeteers had had for decades. It may not have been a black cat, it may not have been a cat, but it was some flirtatious, anthropomorphized thing that could be a little funnier and a little raunchier just because it wasn't a human being, right? Does that make sense? That does make sense. So. It's the same thing with Disasterina. Disasterina is not a human being, so I can be totally raunchy. People love it. Exactly. I'm a fantasy creature. So I was performing <laughs> this this puppet, and I believe the number that she was supposed to do was My Heart Belongs to Daddy. And I developed an act with it to the song that was really hypersexualized. It was just trashy. And Bob saw it. Now, I based it off of previous... I mean, this is how it worked at the time. We would watch old VHS tapes that they had recorded as far back as that medium existed and whatever medium they used before VHS tapes. And they would record a show. I think it was show. Birch. I think they'd just go right it to It was birch. carved on birch, yes. Yeah. And then it was, it was flickered over a fire to project a shadow <laughs> that seemed as if it moved. Which is really how puppetry started, by the way. But that's another story. So... It was technically the same steps, but I would make the puppet stop and just be, do something a little more lascivious. And it was literally, the puppet was made out of marabou. It was a long body. She didn't have a chest. She barely had hips. But I was able to do things like throw its leg over a child's shoulder and then do a, a almost a, a squat right into the child's face. <laughs> so it was, a, bah, 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 it was purely suggestive. And Bob would always scream at me after every show, stop making the cat so sexual. And I would borrow that puppet and do that number for uh, burlesque shows that were happening around town at the time when burlesque was still very under-viewed art form. Burlesque wasn't as popular as it is now. That's true. Burlesque is a little almost oversaturated. I signed up for a burlesque class. Right. Oh, I went to Walmart and I got this huge pack of sequins. So I would borrow the cat and I would take the cat out and get the trashy out of my system doing that puppet at burlesque shows. And eventually it just reached kind of a point where I was bar Bob was letting me borrow so many puppets. 
some of the more adult-oriented stuff. He didn't have truly adult-themed material, but I would take some some of the stuff and tweak it, make a little more blue for these audiences. And that was how people started to see me on the scene. And eventually, I told Bob, I'm going to make my own black cat, but I need your help. And he was like, okay. So he helped me build my own black cat. You can see where Bob's cat is in my cat, but mine has tits, mine has huge hips, mm. mine aesthetically is so much different than his, and yet you can look at it and it really echoes that like Marilyn Monroe sort of sexuality. So this is the version of the black cat that it always wanted to be. Exactly. I did the cat a favor. <laughs> I brought the cat to justice. Now the soul of the black cat can move on and towards the light. Its work is finally complete. So, Matt, I have heard that this Bob Baker, not quite so wholesome as people might think. No, definitely not. But he at least was good enough to keep it behind closed doors. Um, but I'd have to say that he might have been the the defining moment of me crossing over into becoming a raunchy puppeteer. Mm. Um, one day we were working late, uh, cutting reel-to-reel tapes for the soundtrack, and he leaned over to me, and even though we were the only two people in the room, he whispered, have you ever seen Let My Puppets Come? And I said, no, I don't even know what that is. And he said, oh, And how is come spelled? I believe it's C-O-M-E, but it's being used as a verb and not a noun. And that's what changes the spelling, right? I mean, I don't know. But he did tell me that he would bring me the tape the next day. And he did. And even it was a blank VHS tape, and it had um, no label on it. And he still acted as if he was so embarrassed. He had to pass it to me under a table and made sure nobody was looking. And I... Took it home, and it was a. It was you know back in the day, VHS tape had six recordable hours on it, and so I put popped it in, rewound it to the very beginning of the tape, and it was four uninterrupted hours of vintage '70s gay porn, and then finally the one-hour movie of Let My Puppets Come, which turned out to be a puppet porno. And then, so, what kind of puppets do puppet porno? In this case, they were mostly hand puppets. So, like, think the Muppets, but in vignettes, straight, weird, strange vignettes, um, uh, like a comedy show uh, uh, of the times of the 70s, it would be just a, like skit comedy, but it would be puppets of, like, a, there's a guy in a hospital bed and the nurse comes in to jack him off and full puppets ejaculating. And Wow. What does a puppet ejaculate look like? It depends on the puppet. So you'd have to see Let My Puppets Come to see how a hand puppet gets off. But I ended up building, inspired by that, I have a holiday elf that does a a number and sings a little song and about his sexual frustration and getting fired at Christmas time from Santa's workshop. And to beat that frustration, he ends up beating off in the act and he grows a huge boner and ejaculates over the first couple of rows of the audience. Wow, I want to be in that audience. I'm sure you do. (laughs) You don't know living until you've been squirt by the ejaculate of a puppet elf. Uh, That's a true statement right there. Now, what was that other thing you were very influenced by? There was like another 
a very dirty, raunchy show that you mentioned. Meet the Feebles, a great, it's a great puppet movie by Peter Jackson of Lord of the Rings, um, back before he became all about Hollywood showboating. And he was doing gross out films like Dead Alive and Meet the Feebles was one of them. And I could be wrong, but I do believe I had heard that, he, that Henson had tried to sue his Australian or New Zealand puppet company um, because they had created this film called Meet the Feebles, which was almost a, uh, a raunchy, uh, X-rated, dirty, filthy version of The Muppet Show. It's not, but you can definitely see where they drew the influences. There's a, there's a crossover of characters. They've changed the animals. Mm-hmm. The Kermit character is very much Kermit, except he's a rabbit and not a frog. The Miss Piggy character, the domineering female character, is a hippopotamus instead of a pig. You can see the crossover and you can see the inspiration, but it's real loose in its interpretation. But it's a good, fun, trashy movie to watch. I'm definitely going to check that one out. It sounds bonkers. I got to do it. Those are Rasputin's Marionette's puppet film picks. You know, you should do like a list. Rasputin's puppet's film list. Top 10. If I thought anybody listened to anything I'd had to say, I'd have done this podcast you months see, ago. You know, there's going to be a million people listening, and then when you're on here the second time, then you're going to give us your top ten. Oh, I hope I haven't given away all my good stuff then in this one. No, that's okay. You know, you know, you gave us a couple good ones, but now you're going to give a whole slew of other ones. Maybe a review of one or two of them, too. Oh, I can absolutely do that. Let's do it. Yay! Puppet movie reviews with, <laughs> <laughs> with Rasputin and Disasterina. And now for one more tiny little break, okay? Hi, this is Barney Scrotum for the Big Shablango. Tired of reading articles about Gnosticism? Fed up with having a drag queen's hand all the way up your ass? Bummed out by hairless cats? Need a new mustache hot glued to your face? Well then try the Big Shablango. The Big Shablango. Yeah, I know. Why would you trust a sleazy hand puppet? I've already got a cease and desist order against me. Because I got something you don't. The Big Shablango. The Big Shablango. Now, not available in theaters. Mitchell Daub here for Cold Sluts on Fire. No more waiting. The Dr. Sato enamel pin is here. Put it on your business suit, fedora, or your straitjacket. Let your friends and enemies know you ally yourself with the wicked and the perverted. Free domestic shipping from coolslutsonfire.com. Now back to Matt Scott of Rasputin's Marionettes. So uh, it was soon after that... I decided I wanted to build a whole show. Ah. Now, when you did build a show, where did you think you were going to be able to do these shows? Because it was adult-oriented. There was a venue in North Hollywood called the CIA. The Oh, wow. Uh, you I must know it. There. Of course you have. Yes. You know they just closed their doors. For good? For good. Oh, that's so sad to Isn't hear. It? Isn't it? Almost oh, 30 no. years. Um. Tuesday Thomas had a, probably still has a show called Freak Show. 
Picture LA, and it's a variety show, comedy show, and I've done several of her shows, and a few of them were at CIA, so I'm very sad to hear. You know, the CIA, for anybody who doesn't know, it's almost like a museum. It's sort of like a, a quack, or what do they call it? It's like a carny museum in the back or something? Yeah. Did you see it before it changed over to the Asian theme? This would have been like five years ago. Was it all, was it all like Chinese restaurant inside? Like 1960s Chinese restaurant, like a lot of red and black. Yeah, a lot and, of red, yeah. Yeah. So before they made that changeover, it was even more carny. Oh, okay. For people that don't know, the CIA doesn't stand for, for what you think it stands for. It stands for the California Institute of Abnormal Arts. It really took a page from Old Circus, and Carl, the owner of it, was in, what's the name of that fucking movie? Blood Shit. It'll come to me. Blood but he shit? Played blood shits. <laughs> <laughs> Been there. Hated it. He played Dahmer in, uh, in a movie called My Friend Dahmer. This is a long, long, long time ago. Mm, um, I gotta check it out. He, yeah. Blood Diner. Blood Diner. Blood Diner. Blood okay. Diner. If you like terrible, low-budget, 80s horror movies, you'll enjoy this one. It's crap. Okay, if Andrew Hawkins it's, is out there, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it, but, you know, I have to catch up. Okay, I'm going to check it out. Very much an homage to Herschel Gordon-Lewis. Who is that? He's a filmmaker that did a bunch of really gore-heavy movies in the 60s, B-movies that have kind of just reinvented the scene. Almost the American Giallo. One of his most famous movies is Blood Feast. And so Blood... Oh, I've heard of Blood Feast. Blood, yeah, famous. And 2000 Maniacs. I've heard of that one. Great movies. If anybody's listening, you need something to watch tonight. So Carl came kind of from that sort of aesthetic. He was a mortician. Did you ever see The the Mummified Clown? Yes, yes. And The Bigfoot. And he's auctioning all of this stuff off. I think he's taking the clown with him. Wow. All throughout the club, but mostly in the back, I guess the smoking area, whatever, mm-hmm. there's all these carny exhibits. The cool thing is he used to do a tour. It gives you the full carny experience, all the legends about it. It's so yeah. good. Did he tell you about the haunted painting? Yes, the haunted yeah, painting. Yeah, all haunted kinds haunted. of crazy stuff in there. Well, the very first time, this is great. I don't know if you know who Shea St. John is. Yes. Ah, the very first time I ever went to the CIA, I saw Shea St. John performing... The legendary performance artist. And it changed my life. I'm going to tell you about what I saw Shay doing. So Shay was up on a little platform, basically go-go dancing. She had no arms. For anybody who doesn't know Shay, Shay had a lot of problems, physical problems, and slowly had to amputate most of her body until she was pretty much just a stump, but didn't let that stop her. So Shay was go-go dancing with two prosthetic arms that were literally just floppy. Like They weren't prosthetic in that they had any use. They were cast silicone arms really that reached all the way down to like mid calf so bizarre <laughs> and had two sparklers lit sparklers jammed into her eye sockets wow and was just dancing while these giant arms would be flopping around and swinging about and hitting people in the head just go go dancing like this and i was terrified and excited all at once perfection so when I was building my first show, of course, the only place I can think of, I'm going to build this show. It's going to be a freak show themed marionette show, and I'm going to premiere it at the CIA. And that's exactly what happened. And from there, I understand that you 
did Puppets of Freaks. Like, you Classic, know, yeah. Todd Browning's Freaks is the, is the movie, the black and white movie, the pre-code. So you created some of those freaks from that movie. They were inspired by, okay, but inspired yes, by. Uh, Johnny Eck was yes. the half was yeah, the, like the, the half torso man. man he was just the torso man and he was gorgeous he was yeah, very he handsome, was yes. really really handsome uh i made a female version of that my pinhead is not necessarily based off of schlitzy it probably looks more like um Zippy, Zippy, Zippy the, the, the comic, yeah. And then I added some freaks to it that did not exist in the film. There's a geek that's one of them that does a geek act. And he's very uh, hair-lipped, hillbilly, very uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, that sounds totally fascinating. Now, did you have, when you were doing these shows, was it all you doing all the puppetry, or did you have uh, puppeteers doing it? In the beginning, when I built the first version of the show, it had scenery, it had more props, and uh, it was a lot more complicated because my head was more complicated back then, and so I built more than was necessary. And I would usually have to have one or ideally two people helping me out to perform that show. Over the years, I've really scaled it back and it's just as effective, if not more so, as a one-man show with none of this prop, none of the props and none of that scenery. You don't have to pay nobody either. And I don't have to pay anybody. So you're doing this raunchy thing all of a sudden at CIA. It seemed like this became something you do for a career and you like go out on the road and do nationwide tours and stuff. When did you start doing that? I started when I met Gogo Amy, who happened to catch a performance of mine. She caught the freak show at CIA one night that happened to be the same night that Dragula was happening at the fault line. Boulet Brothers Draga started out as a live competition in the club. Correct. And, uh, and that was how I first formed a collaboration that I'm sure we'll talk about later on in this podcast. Um, but uh, Gogo Amy is a costume designer and had done a lot of costumes for the Boulet Brothers. Um, but she was also a fire performer, a quick change artist, burlesque. And she had come from the East Coast where she had originally met the Boulet Brothers and had started her own variety sideshow burlesque touring company called Pretty Things Peep Show. Oh, okay. You know, I've met Gogo Amy. I don't remember exactly. It might have been at the CIA, but I know of them and I've met them in the past. Amy is great. She she's about. She's always always kind of been the girl on the scene. She's done a lot of work with a lot of the clubs and a lot of the promoters out here. Did you team up with Gogo Amy and be part of this? Well, she happened to be at the CIA. Now I was the manager of the Fault Line at the time, and Dragula was happening that night, and so it was quite a magic trick for me to be able to disappear from the Fault Line and not be noticed on the busiest night that we have so that I could go and perform a show uh, in North Hollywood and get back to Hollywood in time to not have been noticed. And as I did this magical moving about from place to place without catching an eye, Gogo Amy pulled me aside at Dragula and said, didn't I just see you performing at the CIA? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Who wants to know? She's like, that was fucking brilliant. 
and I'm so glad I wanted to talk to you back then, but you ran out of there so quickly. I'm like, yeah, because I had to get here. She's like, well, fortunately, I now have you cornered, and let's talk. You're amazing, and I would love to have your puppets join my touring show of Pretty Things Peep Show. So uh, that's how that came about. Amy's got a great love of puppets, the same story, huge Muppets fan. Um, and so we hit it off right away. She ended up doing costumes for some of my favorite puppets. Um, uh, of course, a lot of the burlesque puppets that I have, she was able to not only make the costumes for me, but as a burlesque performer and as a quick change artist, knows all the secrets. That's an interesting term, a quick change artist. It's so descriptive of what is necessary. It's like you got to be ready to go for the next act almost immediately, right? Mm-hmm. And especially with things like the burlesque puppet, you know, it's going to take off its clothes. It's also limited by the strings that are hanging all around those clothes. So how can the clothes break away off of the puppet and smoothly come out through all of those strings and not get tangled? And she was able to navigate through all of these problems and uh, and not just a dart here, a dart there. Like she had it all. When you pull this string, all of this is going to dissolve essentially. And then you'll be able to, it'll come right off. And I was like, that is brilliant. So it was actually a costumer who helped me develop some of the trick puppets that I currently do. That is totally fascinating. What an interesting uh, set of skills you have come upon over the years to do what you do. It's very inspirational. There's a lot of working parts, um, no pun intended. I mean, you go from concept and design to carving to having to know the physics of how joints work and making sure joints move in the right direction. So how do you, how do you make these then? Do you carve them out of wood? Usually joints are made out of wood. The detailed appendages, hands, feet, and faces I do out of paper mache, uh, just to keep it lightweight. Yeah, every puppet changes in the materials that I use depending on what I need it to do, or sometimes the aesthetics. But whenever I go aesthetics first, which is, so, it is such an unfortunate speed bump in my process. I always want to go aesthetics first, but find out that aesthetics just don't have the right physics to make the puppet actually work. Oh, interesting. If I want to do something that has, uh, that's very costume heavy, literally, if a costume is too heavy, or if the aesthetic is maybe like something that's literally just made out of feathers, it won't have the, the right weight to it, oh, or it'll have too okay. much weight. A giant head will throw off the position of every other string that's supposed to be moving in that direction. That's true. It gets in the way. So there's a lot of things to try to navigate in making a puppet. And it can be really time-consuming. It's lots definitely... trial and error, I would guess. Lots of trial and error. Absolutely. I've had, I have more than one prototype that has ended up in a bonfire. You should keep those and give them to me. You wouldn't want them. Oh, yes, I would. You'd be surprised. And in some cases, they're like NDA kind of shit. And I'm, oh, okay. I don't want to get sued. Okay. Love to. We'll talk later. We'll stuff. talk later. We'll make our own puppets. <laughs> I would love that. Be sure to follow Matt Scott and Rasputin's Marionettes on Instagram at Rasputin's Marionettes. Don't ask me how to spell it. It's too hard. Also, if you want to contact Matt Scott about the crazy puppet idea, 
You can do so. Just use Rasputin Marionettes at Gmail. No S on Rasputin. So go and do it. Why not? Music for the podcast by Dr. Stevo. Go to drstevo.com. D O C T O R S T E E V O.com. I would like to personally thank our fantastic Patreon supporters. You are the ones who are keeping this podcast growing and going. Love you. Joseph Reich, Jeffrey Gallet, Indra Lonstein. Amy Marsh, Oliver J, Jeremy McNabb, Keith Ferguson, Annalyn Bond, Rollerblaze, Sazzy C, Silvana Ahmed, Tom, Ali, Carrie Wolf, Eric Peterson, John Gidbent, Renee Redanius, Melissa Sarah, Nikini Kill, Julia Levine, Rhea, Simon Law, Spencer Montoya, Story Nagel and Katrina Miller. Thank you so much. And remember, Patreon supporters, if you have any questions for the magical disaster in the Queen herself, just go ahead and send me a message to Patreon and I will answer your question on the air on the podcast. Special perks for you. You want to be as wonderful as those people? Well, then go to Patreon, Patreon, I don't know how to fucking pronounce it, dot com forward slash cold sluts on fire. One word, give us plenty of your greenbacks. We need it. <laughs>